Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome aboard the Chat Bus, the podcast miniseries that talks with fellow travellers through the forest of films of one of the world's greatest animation studios, Studio Ghibli. I'm Michael Leader. And I'm Jake Cunningham, and I've got my bus pass. So join us on our quest into the glorious world of Ghibli. Jake, you're here for a second round on the Chat Bus. Oh yeah, you know me. Um, I, I I might get travel sick on regular buses, but the chat bus I'll uh, I'll always sit on the front. Although I've recently got told that actually, if you do suffer from travel sickness, sitting next to the wheel. So if you find look at the wheelbase and sit closest to where the wheels are, there's less wiggle, and so. Uh, sit next to the wheel if you get sick, uh, which is not the point of advice that I expected this podcast to kick off with. But there you go. You, you learn something new from all of these episodes, don't you? Absolutely. Gosh, we're dealing out some real home truths here, some tips for life. Who are we talking to this week, Jake? So uh, in this episode, we've got Kenneth Ledek here and Jess Nichols from the Sun Creature Studio, who have just recently made history have they not they absolutely have so they are the studio behind the animated documentary flea which was nominated for three oscars this year making history as you said jake nominations in three categories including best animated feature best documentary and best foreign language film yes yes uh, such a good film and it's one of those really nice ones where it's had a really long cinematic life already and people have just been picking it up and it's getting bigger and bigger, a bit like Drive My Car as well. Um, so this film premiered at Sundance 2021 and then you've had Nikolai Costa-Waldo, uh, aka Jamie Lannister from Game of Thrones and Riz Ahmed come on as executive producers. They've lent their voices to a dub and all of this like hype has gradually kind of built across the year and then come to now and this is a really nice surprise that a, a grown-up piece of animation really has become a bit of a breakout hit and has found audiences who maybe wouldn't normally be watching documentary or wouldn't normally be watching animation yeah it's always a treat for us when people who don't normally watch animation are watching animated films if you haven't had a chance to see flea yet come strongly recommended from us at ghibli attack just let's have a quick synopsis before we dive in because this is something a bit different from the usual for us flea tells the story of amin nawabi as he grapples with a painful secret he has kept hidden for 20 years one that threatens to derail the life he has built for himself and his soon-to-be husband. Recounted mostly through animation to director Jonas Poher Rasmussen, he tells for the first time the story of his extraordinary journey as a child refugee from Afghanistan. So this collision of animation, documentary, really one of a kind, I think, Jake. Yes, and that's exactly why we wanted to talk to the guests that we've got today, because of how varied the style of this film is. Uh, so within those different uh, realms of memory that it exists in. Uh, so in Amin's present day, in his childhood, and then he's in these kind of fragmented traumatic memories that are a bit looser. You've got a lot of different approaches to animation. And so we've got the animation director, Kenneth, and the art director, Jess, to explore more about the visual identity of Flea. 
and the character of Amin. Absolutely. They were very patient answering our nerdy, naive questions. Because I guess week in, week out in this podcast, we talk about backgrounds, talk about animation. We've quoted filmmakers where they talk about how the individual animators can almost be actors when creating their characters through a scene. Also, we've mentioned Ghibli backgrounds, Ghibli clouds, Ghibli skies in the in the past. So it's amazing to talk to people whose actual job is doing that. And thank you to them for being so patient. So there is a lot of Ghibli, actually, you, more, more than you think maybe in this conversation yes well and there's a lot of ghibli happening at sun creature uh because if you go on youtube and look for a, a lovely advert for visit oregon the american state uh then it is the maybe the biggest ghibli love letter since mary and the witch's flower uh it just is just a lovely lovely miyazaki recreation but imagine all of everything that you love about Ghibli and Japan and the look of a Miyazaki film but transport it not from Japan or not from Wales but all the way to Portland Oregon (laughs) and imagine what that might look like and it is very very lovely and so we do get into uh, a bit of there how you go about recreating the look of a Miyazaki film too Mm -hmm. so let's listen to our conversation with Kenneth and Jess Kenneth, Jess, thank you so much for joining us. It's such a pleasure. Congratulations on Flea. Um, we'll be talking about that shortly, but we love to set off all these conversations with Studio Ghibli, which, of course, is in the title of our podcast. And we like to ask our guests, what was your first experience with Ghibli? Who wants to take that question first out of the two of you? I, I don't really remember the first time I watched it. I think it was like... A... Growing up in, like, I'm Australian originally, but I spent a lot of my teen years in the UK. Um, I remember my friend had, like, a her dad was part of an animation school in High Wycombe at some point. So I think he introduced us when I was pretty young. But I think I really remember getting into it when I was about, I think I must have been late teens, early 20s. And I was studying in Edinburgh um, and I had a really bad breakup. Uh, sorry I started I think I downloaded the entire filmography and just went through and I think I think I remember watching Pompoka and being like this is amazing and I don't know what it says about me that my like breakup film is a film about raccoon, raccoon testicles but it's fine <laughs> yeah and then it, and then it stuck yeah <laughs> you just needed out. those testicles and then it all clicked into place exactly <laughs> an ocean of transforming testicles and then like over i'm done yeah exactly yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah no but i then i, I promptly uh, dropped out of uni and went to study animation instead so <laughs> inspired by pompoko etc or uh, i think so i think it was a mix of of that and some doc like i also watched waltz with Bashir around the same time and, and uh-huh. a couple of other like more not not like a list films i guess and then uh yeah, that started a, a downhill slope. <laughs> <laughs> and Kenneth, how about you? What was your first taste of Ghibli? <clears throat> I remember that I I think I came across it just by accident on the, the Danish TV uh, mm. where they were showing uh, Total, uh, my neighbor Total. Uh, but I think like back then, they because it's for kids, then then they, they divided it up into, into parts. <laughs> <laughs> which is blasphemy but um but they had done that so i probably watched like the part two or three or something like that they were yeah. just showing it like random times um but as a kid i just remember being like whoa what is this even though i couldn't i could not follow the story at all because you jump into the middle of it i suppose there's, there's not really much of a story there anyway so if there was one of theirs that you were going to turn into chapters that's probably the one that's going to work yeah it's probably not the worst uh so, but I, just, I, I still remember being like caught by the mood of it and that it was just, it felt special. Like there was something different about it compared to all the other like more Disney style mm-hmm. things I've seen back then. There was just that focus on the mood and those little moments where you just follow a character looking at stuff and you're like, well, what's going on? Um, so I, I, that, that was my sort of first encounter with the Miyazaki yeah. sound. But I think the, like the proper like full film watching is a little blasphemous as well. Um, but I, I watched the, 
uh, it's called the uh, Princess Mononoke mm -hmm. on YouTube. Uh, on that little like on my <laughs> shitty computer, my my room as a kid. <laughs> but even like to the testament of that film, even on that little like uh, what do you call it square on my screen, mm -hmm. I was still just like, poof, like blown away by it. And then years later at animation school, I saw it on, on in cinema, and I was like, oh, okay, that's how you're supposed to watch it. It's crazy. Yeah. Wow, we're already off to such a blasphemous start, as you said. <laughs> I, I, I feel I feel totally vindicated for like all the people that send <laughs> send mean tweets saying I can't believe he watched Spirited Away on a train, which I did do, but you know, <laughs> at least it was full so, screen. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. Then I, I'm setting the lowest standards. It seems. <laughs> Was it was it common for anime like that to be on telly then um, at, at that time? Not in uh, Denmark. It was pretty rare. I think we had mm. Pokemon and we had Dragon Ball. Uh, yeah. And they were just like screening those episodes like in random. I remember. So you would just like suddenly be in Dragon Ball where he's fighting with Frieza, and then you would jump back to him as being as a kid. Like yeah. the day after that, <laughs> the season they had no like they didn't really care about the, the storyline. Mm. Um, and then I had like then there was a few times where they would pick up. Sort of role, or I even remember there's an enemy called Blue Submarine or something like that that they okay. would they would also divide into parts for some reason and then um, put up there. And uh, when you get into actually making animation, is there a bit of a Wizard of Oz moment where the curtains drawn back and you can see what's making that magic? Because I think we, we, when we talk to people a lot about Ghibli. It's like, oh, I watched it when I was young and it was just so different and it wasn't what Disney was making. But I can't quite put my finger on it. Once you've gone into the careers that you've got into, are you able to discern more of what that magic is? Maybe you can start this time. <laughs> <laughs> right. I feel like I'm almost like just throwing at you, just like, you start. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll see it in your eyes. Yeah. <laughs> the, the doubt and insecurity. Um, I think... I mean, te technique-wise, you of course learn how to animate and you learn how to, to draw it and you know how like a background is made and stuff. Um, but I actually think, and this is probably perfect for a Ghibli podcast, but I actually think the Ghibli films still keep that kind of magic for me when I watch it. And uh, because it's so much about like the, the good old craft in a way and how things are drawn so that you still like beautiful paintings where you can still get that wow effect as an artist um, because at least I don't see like the the cheats or like the oh they they use that Photoshop brush for this and that or they use this and this for oh they just copied a lot of drawings around to make it big and movement or something. Um, so the craft can still wow me, and then it's also just so so much about again the mood and the story is what dictates how they they're doing it. And then Miyazaki just has this sort of special sense of story and character that i think you you just i, I at least forget the craft uh, after after like a few minutes then i'm just into it into the mood of it and then then it still it still has that sort of magical nostalgic stem uh stemic that's danish uh, mood um yeah yeah i think that i think that's the crux of it i think it's like there's so much about Ghibli that's that's oh, Ghibli, uh, however <laughs> i don't know which way else the correct one but uh <laughs> I think it's it's more about like the filmmaking aspect of it. I think you see the craft and, and I guess it's like finding out like, oh, that's how much I don't know. Uh, so it's like, yeah, seeing a master at work, I guess, like in the same way that anyone could pick up a camera and, and you still go and see like a, I don't know, like a Coen Brothers film and you're still like, how, how does that happen? Yeah. Hmm. So it's, you can see technically, like it's easy to kind of see how it's been done, but you still could never, you could never do it the same way. <laughs> I'm really intrigued by this um, you know, binging the entire library, Jess. So what was it that... Because cause I, I can't really binge stuff, telly and all that stuff. I always... I don't have the stamina for mm. it. But what what pulled you through all that? What was it that was attracting you to keep going and watch all of them at once? I mean, heartbreak was a lot of it. <laughs> it's, quite, it's quite a motivating force. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> oh, I, think, I think it was also like... Because I, I think it was, from what I remember, it was even in, like, year order um, when, I got, right. when I got it. So I can't remember. I think, I think at some point I was like, oh, I've seen Spirited Away a bunch of times, so I'll just start from the beginning and hope that they're all at that same caliber and just see how it goes. Um, and I think it was just that, that, like, 
it's so different as well. Like I think if you go back and watch a lot of the big studios in, in the States, like filmography, then it's, it, you can see like this kind of creative direction that's really particular. And I think the, the Ghibli stuff really felt like it's a director's vision, I guess, every, every time. Um, so I think in that way it was like, oh, this isn't so much about making money. This is about like someone's vision for what they want uh, mm. people to to experience from a piece of art, I guess. So I think then, then you kind of just like, oh, well, thank God I have so many left. <laughs> I'll just keep going. <laughs> and that's sort of been the journey of the podcast. When we started, Jake had really not seen, he'd seen Spirited Away on the train, as he said, <laughs> but he was quite a novice and slowly revealing all these films to him. We didn't go chronologically. We sort of curated the journey. But what was great with Jake was seeing how, as he went through the library he found his own favourites that maybe weren't the fan favourites. He was attracted to certain styles and filmmakers that maybe not what you'd expect. He became you know, one of your favourites was this Atakahata, you know, mm. uh, and suggested you get a sense of that when you were going through the library. You've already mentioned Pompoko, which is quite a deep cut immediately <laughs> to mention. But what did you make of the other ones? Did any other favourites? Yeah, I think I think I remember there was an animation teacher who asked us in our first year at school, like, what is everyone's favourite animation film? And I remember saying Pompoko and there were so many people in the class being like, oh, nerd. <laughs> <laughs> so I think, you, yeah, I'm sure some, like, I was like, okay, guys, this is animation school. Come on, like, up your game. It's not that, like, weird a selection, but... But yeah, no, I think, I think I mean, I really like the Takahata stuff as well. Like, I think My Neighbor, Yam- the Yamadas, is also really good. And, um, yeah, I guess, I guess I'm not as big a fan of, like, Kaguya. Um, and I, th- I think there's something about that, like, the, the further in you get, the bigger the budgets get, and the less, like, restraint you have, so you become maybe, like, you're able to do maybe too much, uh, is maybe how I feel about it. Um, so yeah, I think a lot of those earlier ones, also for, for like, Miyazaki, I really like like Nausicaa still um, and some of the earlier stuff more than the newer ones I think I love there's so many common threads in these conversations which I love that come up so often of Nausicaa being the best so in theory that Miyazaki only ever got worse as a filmmaker (laughs) Uh, and that all the animators pick My Neighbours the Yamadas like particularly with people interested in animation that film seems to go down so well what is it about it it's a great character study um i don't have you seen it kenneth that one yes it is also my my favorite from from him coming from (laughs) Isao. yeah because it 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 just has like it's it's such good character study as you say and the, the animation is just when you're ready to pop the question the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring at BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. It's so good, and it's so, like, full of personality and these little, like, story segments. I think you're right. I, I totally agree with you, Jess, on the fact that I think he... I don't think he gets better with the higher the budget he has. Like, uh, because it's sort of, you get a little bit more distance from the actual story and the characters. And I think that the neighbors, Yamada, you're just like, you're in there. There's like, it's so bare bones of what like the style is that you just have to focus on what the, the necessities are in terms of 
character and what is like the, the little stories and the little character interactions and all that stuff. Um, and as an animator, that's just like, oh, 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 oh. <laughs> you just you hit that up. <laughs> I was going to say, I think a lot of Takahata's ones are like that. Like they all kind of feel like character studies in a way. Oh yeah, they're just dreamy. I, I, I think that's what's so exciting to me about his his form is like the, the confidence just to strip stuff away as well um like Miyazaki is great as a great world builder and those frames are so full of full of life and detail uh and so I think that's what made me so excited about watching the Takata films is like in only yesterday when the backgrounds just disappear and she flies up into the air like those moments where it's just so focused on the emotion and the story and that connection rather than the look of the thing is he's so so good at <laughs> oh, yeah. um but that yeah so let's take the opportunity because we michael and i are not animators it'd be great to look at these films from a from a craft point of view um so like thinking of well i suppose how these things actually get made um jess you've been lucky enough to go to the museum like we have as well where they do kind of give you a little bit look into the pipeline of these films is it scarily intimidating to look at that kind of stuff and see how a ghibli film gets made i think the backgrounds yeah i mean i'm not i'm like ken it's definitely the animation side of this like uh the, the partnership that we had on the on fleet um i'm more of like a background person camera person um so i think there's that one room in the in the museum which has like all the original paintings just casually like pinned to the wall it's not even behind any like oh, perspex you could shoot this and it's not gonna yeah yeah they're just hanging out um it's insane <laughs> so i think there's something about that that just makes me want to like oh just like put some i know some like aluminium foils anything on it to like just protect it from these like heathen school children that are just running around um so, but I think, I mean, the museum's also like a very uh, idealized way of looking at it, I guess. Like it, it, all the production, all the stages of productions are so presented as like these little rooms in a house and, and things. So it looks really cozy and I'm sure that it wasn't cozy all the time. <laughs> <laughs> but Jess, I'd love um, to, to get your sense of what is so special about Ghibli's backgrounds and art direction, because we talk about Kazuo Oga, who's like one of the he's the main art director on films like and background artist on films like Totoro and it's something we we tend to focus on character design and animation but the backgrounds are so important to that and having an actual (laughs) art director on on the show what is so special for you about Ghibli and and that aspect of the craft Uh, I think I mean you guys talked a little bit about like the 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 whole stripping away unnecessary details and things and I think it takes like a certain there's a lot of egos, I guess, in like animation and, and art in general. And I think that that it takes a certain special type of person to kind of be as amazing a painter as Kazuo Oga is and then just like not paint everything. Like you're still making room for the characters, like still the main focus is is how to tell the story and what's important to the mood and the tone and um, and all that. So I think I think it's the fact that it's that great filmmaking skill combined with that he's like had the time to both be an amazing painter but also know the like story enough to to know when to stop um and i mean i also i have his book and it's only in japanese and i have tried to read it so many times and uh, every time it's like a single little tear because i it just can't but uh but yeah it's very impressive just on like a technical level as well i think yeah it makes um jake and i were talking about this earlier it makes me think of um we were talking with the curators of the Miyazaki exhibition in the Academy Museum in Los Angeles, and they would ha- they had like a blue sky, Ghibli blue sky, painted on the walls, and they had to get the guy who does the blue skies and clouds <laughs> to come and advise about that. <laughs> it's how important those landscapes and those backgrounds are to the Ghibli look and vibe and feel. <laughs> I, think, I mean it's like a whole package really right the whole like there's not really any side of the filmmaking that lets it down so you can talk about the animation but then you've also got to mention all the other stuff alongside it's yeah it's just the masterwork yeah well so on on, on top of those backgrounds we've got our characters so Kenneth we'll turn to you there um so thinking of the character movement that we might see in in a Ghibli film uh like looking at 
I suppose the stuff that we love about them, the way that they are so relaxing because they show us like the minute details of life as much as the big adventures. Uh, what's it about the movement here that we're seeing that kind of makes them unique? I think it's it's a bit the same as what Jess says about the background and stuff. It's, uh, it's really like less is more. Uh, that it really focuses on, on what is needed instead of just being uh, like spectacular or to sort of like show a funny movement or, or, or make something look impressive. Uh, it always feels like it has some sort of root, root in the character in the moment. Um, I really like, for example, when you, uh, when you, the first time, who was the, the, the protagonist in uh, Princess Mononoke? Yeah, Ashitaka? Ashitaka. Yeah. When he meets the, the lady with the guns uh, for the first time, she is sitting and preparing this, I think it's a letter or something like that, and she's sort of wrapping it all up and putting things aside. Um, and it's not sort of like overdone or like really crazy stuff to show from sort of crazy world. It just shows her like meticulousness in, so, in terms of like preparing these things and packing it away. Um, it also gives her, so it's really about her character, but it also grounds her as a person through the, like the, the tools she is, she, she is using. So it, it's a really nice sort of focus on, on the, the craft, uh, or, or craft on the, on the details in terms of, of what makes the characters but not doing like overdoing it. Um, yeah, yeah. And if you're comparing that scene with, with her putting like those tools away to the scene where in Ponyo, where the mom is cooking noodles, where she's just sort of like sticking things in pan, pots and pans and sort of making it a little bit more like wildly. Um, it just really shows the character. Um, and and it, you can sort of relate to the feeling of putting these things aside because they just have that right sense of weight and material and all that. Uh, I think for me, at least that feels pretty unique to Ghibli that they, they, um, they set aside time in the film to focus on these things because it builds character and it builds the world, um, and sort of connects everything together. I think mm. if that makes sense. It, ma it makes complete sense. And when you're watching these films, it feels so organic and like, it's just come out of the film. It doesn't feel like it's something that someone at some point has had to sit down and storyboard or find time and space for. So when you're actually making a piece of work yourself as an animation director. How do you find time to bring that to the characters in the film you're working on? I think it's tough because it's like speaking about Flea, it, we didn't have the highest budget. So most of the time when the characters could stand still, then we preferred to do that because then, then it wasn't like it wouldn't run over the budget. Um, but then again, having things like when, when uh, Amin's sisters are uh, like listening uh, or when they're listening to uh, the, the older sister telling the story about their father one of the sisters is sort of a bit older than the two than Amina and his older brother uh, so she's heard the story many times so we showed that by her sort of sitting a bit more relaxed and her knees sort of like she's a bit uh, fidgeting with her legs and stuff she doesn't she can't sit still because she's like ah, I've heard this story so many times so she's a bit more sort of fidgety and moving around where the others are like just in the in the story and just like big eyes and looking at the the older sister so we're still trying to find like moments like that to sort of say okay this character is like this and she would probably think of, of she would be in this headspace uh, during this moment um yeah things things like that we, we we're trying to sort of find uh, moments for but again i think also for flea it was also a matter of like less is more to not go cartoony on it uh, yeah and i suppose it's those little moments that are so key to actually getting to the emotional side of the characters as well. It's those little bits that make us see them as rounded humans or rounded monsters in a Ghibli film, whatever they might be. Um, and I suppose that, that's the side of animation maybe people aren't considering is just how much those little details are key in building up the entire story, right? Yeah, but you can, you can tell a lot from how... Uh giant cat monster would unwrap a pack of noodles uh, like if it's just like and then eating it or if it's more like meticulous and nice then you put it all aside and pick up the little bits and pieces to fill out like yeah, you, you can you can use those those moments to to really explain a character a lot and with with something like flea where so this is getting into this animated documentary aspect because i suppose you're working from sound recordings and other materials so when it comes to character design and then animation on top of that, what is the leeway you're giving, you're given or giving yourself to, cre to create these characters and give them life as animated characters? I mean, um, 
in terms of character design, then both then Jess and I were pretty uh, sort of overlapping at that point. Um, so Jess can also you can just jump in here uh, and add things as well. But uh, we had we had footage of uh, Amin during the interviews um, when he's on the on that couch, and um, we used that as a reference for 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 those scenes. Mm -hmm. um, we didn't like trace it or rotoscope it, but we used it to sort of see like how does he wipe away his tears? How do he? How does how do you move when you're just lying down and with your eyes closed and talking about memory? Like uh, you're not gesturing too much and all that stuff. So sort of reference to get a realism from it. Um, but in terms of character design, um, we of course looked at how he sort of like places himself or what do you call it, like how he his vibe and sort of mm -hmm. try and get something similar to that. But still making sure that that it's not like like oh that's a that's this guy when you if you see him on the street he still needs to be anonymous. Mm. Um, so I think we were we were using the reference as a way to sort of get the mood and the vibe from from how they sort of presented themselves to stay authentic uh, as much as possible. Yeah, I think Amin will always feel like the most authentic character in that film because we had more footage and and sound recordings of him than than it by far anyone else, but. But I guess at some point you kind of have to just say, like, I guess there's all this issue with the representation and how to, how do you, like, make a person feel real and, and stay true to who they are in reality. And, and at some point you just kind of have to say, like, oh, we need to make some sort of decision, I guess, uh, and and just ask <laughs> people if it seems seems accurate. Um, I, think, I think it's a lot about also, I mean, we talked a bit about all the small details that make up like how yeah how you perceive a character through through the screen and i think that that when it comes to to like real people that stuff is is equally important and i think that that when you see like sometimes when i i like I, I, this is hard because i feel like sometimes when you talk about jimmy it turns into like a disney bash um, <laughs> but i feel like a lot of modern animation is like the characters feel kind of both overdeveloped and underdeveloped at the same time because you you want them to communicate like a particular thing like th like this character is like the sad one or something um and so that becomes like their entire character um so even though you've got this massive team that has like gone really deep into this character and like oh how is this the fact that they're the sad one going to affect every part of their life it's like but that's not a real person like sad people are, can also be happy sometimes and like I don't know, maybe that sad person like studied architecture and really liked it at some point or something. Like I think you gotta, you just gotta flesh it out a lot more, and then it, it helps. I think. Mm. But, yeah, I think it's because Jess, you mentioned Pompoko up top, made me think about that because that film, even though they're depict is depicting Tanuki, the Tanuki characters have almost three different styles they exist in throughout the film. Either a very pho almost photorealistic animal style, or a standing upright style, or ultra cartoony style. And uh, you know Miyazaki would always have a very, you know, coherent, consistent design of his characters. But Takata always loved to play with that and show us that there's no one way to draw a character. And I suppose with Flea, you've had to find it's not as simple as having a slider. It's not a Photoshop <laughs> plugin, <laughs> but find the right sort of level for character design where it's empathetic, believable, authentic, but also so not so realistic that it's too connected to the reality of the story i suppose yeah you also want to kind of abstract from it a little bit mm. i think to allow people to have emotions about it and i think that's where films like grave of the fireflies and stuff are such great reference because it's such a good way to like digest hard topics as well um with all the stuff you can do in animation and yeah people always ask like why why is it an animated movie and i kind of i understand that question but i also kind of hate it because it, it's a little bit like well you're kind of just picky between like a photo and a painting, I guess. And, and, and you can say a lot more like biased, I guess, <laughs> but also, yeah, you can, you can just have more like mood and, and uh, there's something that a painting can bring. I think that, that it struggles in a photo to do the same. Yeah. And on that point about anonymity as well, that Michael, you're talking about um, something that's fascinating about the way that Amin is drawn in Flea is that he's, at no point is the animation used to make him cartoonish at all. It, it doesn't have that elasticity that people might expect of animation. It, his his face is almost surprisingly unexpressive at points, but you'd expect him to be more animated, I guess. Um, is that a way of, of letting people into that experience and making them 
kind of feel more open towards it rather than forcing Amin's emotion on that moment. What was the approach there with his face? I mean, it, it's, I think it's, uh, it's a bit going back to what you said before that that some of, again, not to bash on Disney because it's just for a different audience. But uh, in those films, you want to like show very clearly what people are feeling at that moment. Uh, but in Flea, because it's uh, we wanted it to really like authentic was one of our keywords. Um, then it really needs to be a human, and humans are often like multifaceted about how how they're feeling about a certain moment. And and if I see something sad, I'm not gonna stand on the street and be like mm. when I look at it. I'm I'm probably just gonna have a blank face and have things happening on internally instead. Um, and to sort of and, and that is that's also like I'm going in circles, but maybe I think also having like a non-expression, but looking at at something and you you expect some sort of reaction, then that also forces the audience to really empathize with. I mean, and try to like think. I wonder what he's feeling now. I, I, he must be. I wonder if he's sad or maybe he's angry about this thing. Or why? What does does he want to get back to his boyfriend or what is he gonna do? Instead of showing directly. He's feeling this now. Uh, then we wanted to to let it be more uh, of our interpretation for the audience to really sit and sort of scan his face to see to look for clues and look for what is he feeling at this moment. Um, so that was sort of like the, the the like the thought behind that that acting choice of really going as subtle as possible mm -hmm. uh, and trying to 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 really avoid telling the audience like he feels this now uh, and really force them to try and empathize with him instead. If that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, it does. different ways of doing it as well. Like you could, you, we we chose that route of like, which is a very real person thing to do. I think like, uh, uh, to not be an open book all the time. But I think you know when you look at like Ghibli films, you know, there's all this that like kind of weird thing they do when when the characters are shocked or where that that style kind of goes up and you know, it's almost like a cat hair raised kind of moment. Um, I think even that is like there's different ways to interpret emotions like that rather than just being like hmm. like if you mm -hmm. want to look sad you can look sad in like a multitude of different ways and and I think even even if you kind of think about how a character would would do that then I think it it helps portray them on screen yeah um going back to Takata he seems to be coming up quite a lot in this conversation um another way another film where he plays with different styles depending on the the scene is only yesterday which is a film which has two time periods one a sort of nostalgic memory and one the present day and flea is another one where it has this nested structure of stories and memory in the present day and um, i wondered both in terms of character design animation but then also art direction how did you tackle that and think about representing those different time periods oh the time periods that that was like that was a lot of research on that um and uh, I think part of that was was like both Kenneth and I come from like a more fiction background, I think. So coming in to a documentary, there was a lot of like, oh, we also want to do right by the people involved and, and, and things. So so there was a lot of a lot of research, I guess. Um, so and I, and I think that Jonas, the director, having come from from like a he came from radio documentary before, but has also done some live action films and he had a good sense of like how realistic he wanted to go. So I think the fact that we knew he wanted to go really realistic with the main style of the animation meant that like, okay, well now we have to go pretty realistic on like what that's portraying, I guess. Um, and we made some decisions to, to try and like hide parts of the screen in like darkness and use like really extreme lighting so that we didn't just blow our budget insanely. But, but I guess like depicting different time periods and different locations was really um, a lot about, what are those time periods and like what characterizes them also in terms of like how you how both in terms of like set dressing but also in terms of how you would shoot that kind of location i guess um but i mean that's just kind of the, the realistic style then there was like this also yeah as you mentioned the the other kind of graphical style um which was always kind of intended as this very separate thing um so that animation was actually kind of done by a small team that only worked on that um mm. and that was developed tangentially but uh, still separate from the main body of work so that it felt like it would also have a different uh, visual cinematography I guess um, so even though like the character design at its base is still the same um, it's still 
they you you use them in a slightly different way, I guess. And, uh, and I think it, a lot of the reason behind that was to make it feel like a more subjective. Because um, if it's one or two artists working on it, then it's like it's their voice, and you're not mixing like five different animators uh, trying to make it feel like the same person's voice. Um, it's just a bit easier to do if it's one guy sat by himself. Um, so it was easier to kind of say like this was this is a mean coming up with something that he either wasn't present for or it was a really traumatic period in his life so he doesn't remember it as clearly as he remembers the rest of the story kind of thing and so that was done with like a very purposeful subjectivity in mind um i think there was also a way in terms of how we storyboarded the difference uh, like the, those two different um like there's kind of like three different styles you could say there's like the documentary style where he is filming him in that is a bit more handheld and we have a bit more of a shaky cam as if he's standing there filming him in right at that moment and then there's the, the the clear memories for him in where we go back in time that is more sort of like standard cinema um where it was where we always said like it, it needs to be filmed as if a camera could be there um so often the camera is sort of like uh, eye level um because the cameraman will be able to stand there and film it or woman um, and then there's also, but that it also sort of forces the like cinematography to feel more realistic because it, it, it the camera is placed where it could be realistic and you couldn't just have it sort of fly through a little hole and then open up into whatever. Um, but then that was allowed in the in these more expressive moments. Then the camera can just do whatever and fly around and things can morph because it becomes more subjective and emotional and stuff. Um, yeah i i think the the breadth of the style of it combined with that kind of emotional open book of amin and the way that we can we can read this story how we want it to read it there's a real depth to it it's not perhaps just i'll just join the disney bashing for a moment it's not <laughs> it's not it's not putting the theme on the whiteboard and underlining it 10 times and saying this is the lesson of the story um it's really letting you like interpret the events as you want to um and i think that's that's something that we see in the ghibli films as well like it's it's not about kind of clearly saying this is what you're meant to learn totally and i actually i really want to like uh, praise another film like the kiki's delivery service is actually one of my it's probably my favorite one of all the the, the ghibli films and I, I really think that one does that as well where you follow kiki and she sort of develops but it, it's not like super obvious, like what she has learned. It's sort of very internal and very sort of like, yeah, I'm like, I can watch it many times and still be like, oh, I'm, I'm getting like learning new sides of her and how the cat is suddenly less and less expressive and how she has to stand on her own feet. And, mm -hmm. and nothing is sort of like overexpressed, even though it is a fairly cartoony film and sort of for, for kids in a way, I feel like it's, it's really, really well balanced in terms of how much you're showing uh, of, of her emotional journey and how much you are left to interpret of like how it is to grow up and become mature. Mm. Um, so that was at least a, a inspiration for me uh, in how I wanted to direct a bit the acting and stuff. Jess, just come back to something you just said, which uh, resounded with something that we've talked about very recently on the podcast um, about animators hands, you know, being able, you know, if you have a smaller team, you can really see an animator's subjectivity through a scene. Um, we talked about um, Mamoru Hosoda on, on the podcast very recently, and he at one point reduced his team to the bare bones because he wanted his animators to be actors, is the way he, he, he described it. And uh, Jake and I don't have an artistic bone in our bodies, although Jake is a better sketcher than I am. He can do a very good Totoro if you need to ask him for one. I can't. Um, and we can't we can't see it, but we hear animators talking about, oh, that's so clearly animated by this hand, by that hand. You can see the sort of bravura statements of certain animators when they're working on a sequence. And I wonder, could you expand on that a little bit? And what you mean by that? And Kenneth as well. What is this idea of animators as actors? Um, any comment on that? I mean, I guess you, you like, everyone has their strengths in terms of... Um... You know, like you have some people coming in because they're like have always loved action sequences and then they're really good at, at like that sort of thing. Um, and I mean, that's like a very practical strength, I guess. But they, I mean, you can see it down to like the way because, of course, we have all these guides of like this is how you draw a character. This is how you draw a background. Um, but you can kind of see 
people's personalities and in, in the way things are drawn, I guess. Uh, you know, like I, I think there was, there was one project at, at some point where I was like, oh my God, the person, this person only draws like circles, like they're drawn in like the Hercules uh, Disney film because, and it turned out they just loved that film when they were a kid. So they, when they grew up, like as teenagers, they just drew Hercules a lot. Um, so I, th I think, you know, you have like little kind of personal quirks in that way that kind of sneak in despite yeah. you trying to like beat it out of people <laughs> to a certain extent. <laughs> um, but I mean, everyone, everyone, I guess, also has this vision of like, if you're given a scene, you have so many hours to work on it and, and stuff. And, and you kind of, you develop your own internal idea of what it should look like. Um, even though you've been given this brief of, of like, this is what we want it to look like. You know, you, you don't, you don't have the finished thing in front of you. So you you're still kind of interpreting a character in a moment. Uh, and especially with the, like listening to a voice and, and working out what's the emotions behind that at, at this point in time. And, and that's always a very subjective thing. So you can see, you can see if someone's like a romantic at heart and this kind of stuff, just from the way people interpret briefs. I think. So what's your quirk, Kenneth, that we can look out for? <laughs> there is one. <laughs> Better stay in my model, probably. So it's a very fluid and organic is how I hide that. <laughs> but I don't know. I mean, you work more with animators than, than I do on like a day-to-day. -day. I think it's more obvious with animators than it is with like background artists. Right? I, I don't know if you have any anecdotes. <laughs> um... Yes, I mean you can you can definitely see it in how how they're even like drawing the characters that they are like just different ways of how they're drawing the details. You, it, it comes across in their personal styles, mm -hmm. um, and then there's also ways that they depict movement. Uh, I remember in animation school when we had to do like uh, animate like walks and learn how to draw, draw walks. You could just see, you could guess who animated it by how they walk because you could see like oh that's totally how this and that person walks, <laughs> and then now the pink panther is walking like. Miguel or like another person um so you can just see how like it, yeah, your own sort of natural sense and understanding of movement and acting and stuff comes across and how you depict it um and that is something we, we're trying to sort of cast animators uh, and even when we, we get animators in and we work with bit with them you sort of notice that oh this animator is really good at this thing or this animator is really good at that subtle like little thing that we want to use in this scene so in Flea, there was an animator who had who came from much more of like a Disney school, uh, and he was really good at adding that little bit too much of like an overacting in in a way. So it felt like sometimes it it could sort of steer into like it, it felt uh, like it, it you're sort of forcing uh, emotions out of you when you're combining it with Flea style. Uh, but he was perfect with these sort of um, like telenovela scenes in in flea mm. where people sort of like oh dramatic uh, <laughs> so we gave him all those scenes and they just worked out perfectly with his style because everything was just a bit too dramatic and a bit too sort of had too much flair um like intentionally like he, uh, so so like that's a for example an example of how you would cast animators depending on, yeah. on what skills they have naturally And like an understanding, I think like there was one moment I think where there's like the two sisters on the bed and they're like reading a magazine or something. And I, and, and I remember back way back then there was like, there's something they did. And I just remember looking at them being like, oh, these, like, they're just like two teenage girls. They would never act like this or something. And then we ended up talking about like, oh, okay. But then the other sister's going to like push it so that she was reading the page that before. So she wants to go back to that page, but her sister wants to turn the page and that sort of thing. So I think, I think you also, you can, you can also see people's background it's like if you have a 45 year old man animating teenage girls it's not going to be the same if you have a teenage girl doing it yeah. <laughs> so it's always good to have like multiple like uh, review sessions with different people to say mm -hmm. a teenage girl would never do that <laughs> and, and and how are those sessions there's one um ghibli session i, th I think it's actually after the film's been finished it's in the from up on poppy hill um dvd extra where miyazaki Hayao Miyazaki goes out the front and then schools them all on the timing of walking. <laughs> it must be quite brutal sometimes, some of those sessions. <laughs> it can definitely be, uh, I remember like animation school being quite brutal because you are, you're trying so hard and then you're, you're just getting bashed sometimes because like, oh, you don't know, like the weight is wrong and like, oh, you poor little thing, let me show you. Um, but I, I mean, on, on Fleet, it was, it was luckily not that harsh. Um, and we, we usually had like a, the like the director um, and then me in a separate room to sort of go, 
oh, what are we going to do? Uh, <laughs> to, to, to sort of look at it and see what it needs. And then you would forward that to the animator. Uh, but I think on higher budget shows or films, I, I do see that you bring every animator into a big room and just like commonly review. And I think that must be so tough uh, if, if you're not if you're not the most confident person. I would hate it. <laughs> Especially with these massive budget films because you spend like weeks on, like I think, what was it, the average? I can't remember when this fact is from, but I remember hearing at some point that Pixar's average was like six seconds a week per animator, um, which sounds fairly realistic. And, and like our, our quotas on Flea, I can't remember exactly what they were, kind of, it was drastically different, I remember. Yeah, it was like 15 seconds or something like that, if it's yeah. not more even. Yeah, so you, I think you, you like, if you've worked for weeks on this one scene and then it just gets absolutely destroyed in front of people, then of course it can be like really draining. But I mean, like I said earlier, you have a lot of, I think a lot of people who go into animation, it's a, it's a passion thing to do, right? So so I think people can, can also put a lot of weight on their craft as like an expression of themselves. So if you re if you review them really harshly, even if you're coming from a place of like, this is not about the w you and the work, this is about like what is necessarily for the film, like in another setting. Um, like, as we said, like the Disney thing is just a totally different audience. Like that's going to be a different requirement than what is needed on like a Ghibli film or on Flea or on any other type of film. Um, but it can really like, you can see it in their faces. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Well, Kenneth, am I right in thinking you did a bit of work with Cartoon Saloon as well? so for song of the sea and so like in the i suppose in the grand international scheme of hand-drawn animation houses they're a pretty big deal now um how how would the cartoon saloon environment compare to the sun creature and flea environment compared to what you see of the pixar and disney's out there i mean uh, when i worked on uh, song of the sea i I, I wasn't I wasn't there. I was in uh, in in Vibon, uh, in with the early early days of, of Sun Creature Studio, uh, when we were just like three people, <laughs> um, and then I was just doing a bit of cleanup on it. So I, that one I, I can't really say how it was to be in a production in terms of, of their studio. Um, but later in, in I went over to their um, their studio to uh, Star Wars for for Eddie of the Realms um, a, a pilot they did. Um, but like, ooh, in terms of like uh, the like differences, yeah, that's a good question. I think they are they have a like very similar vibe in a way, in that they are like a fairly small still. Um, so they still have uh, you still feel pretty close to everyone there, and feel like you can go up to anyone and talk to them. Uh, there's that sort of like master who walks in from the door uh, into the room, and then everyone's like, ooh, and, and hide behind the desks or something like that. Um, and that, that that just creates a like a pretty safe environment where you feel like you can contribute with ideas and and uh, and, and pitch suggestions without feeling like you're you're risking uh, being fired. <laughs> and I hope that's the same feeling as some feature. What <laughs> <laughs> um, what's what's the um, the game plan with some creature? I mean, going on the site and seeing the portfolio, the sort of contract work with you know it really high quality stuff. But do you have uh, you know? aspirations of features and everything in the future what's the what's to come so we're definitely aiming towards uh, being able to to start creating our own uh, content as well um that is that is a goal for the studio and to have uh, internal artists like our full-time employees such as like uh, jess as well to be able to if she wants to pitch uh, a project and then we could potentially pick that up and develop a, a pitch or a, a teaser or, or pilot or something like that depending on what the project is so that that is definitely a a goal for us and a, and a vision because most of us got into it with the idea of creating um either art or stories uh and we really want to sort of foster that and still encourage that so it, it doesn't just it doesn't just become service work um and i think animation is this sort of weird mix of you go into it with some sort of passion but then it's it's a lot of hard work and it becomes this weird mix of passion versus um, factory work sometimes even. Mm -hmm. uh, and you need to be very like disciplined and work in a certain way. Folder structure and formats and Excel sheets and all that stuff becomes part of the daily life as well, even when you just want to draw. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, and sometimes an advertisement comes along that means you can actually put a bit of your love of Ghibli maybe into the advert as well, right? 
so t- tell us about the the advert for Oregon and the uh, what what little Easter eggs might people find in there. I mean, I think the whole thing is just one big Easter egg. For <laughs> uh, it's probably fair to say. Um, I mean, it was it was very much from the client as well, saying that they wanted that that Gippy feel, oh. um, that they wanted that to really. It, it to to feel like a Ghibli film uh, when you watch it uh, to sort of Ghibliify Oregon, um, but that was just a, like a gift for us as a studio because we, we love that style as well, and uh, to really like, dive into it and say like okay what does actually make uh, his style? Uh, I remember looking at um, at like how you shade the character or how he, how they do the shadows on the characters, which is mostly these like very rounded shapes, so everything feels very like soft. Um, and, uh, and like clothes are, are like there's very rarely like a hard edge on outfits and stuff. Everything feels pretty rounded, um, but only to a certain level because it doesn't become cartoony either. So there's like very like specific details looking into that, um, which is just a gift for animation nerds like us to be paid to sit to sit and look into like one frame. And I remember our art director Simon Simon Lee at that point also really studying the backgrounds and and looking at painting processes from Ghibli and seeing how they, you would use these like poster paints um, to paint the backgrounds on these giant canvases where everyone's drooling watching it. <laughs> so it was, uh, it was amazing to sit and just try and, and copy that style. And, and then, of course, it's very humbling as well, because then when you see it, you're like, we all kind of there, but like you can never become like a master. Well, I mean, at, at the current rate, like they're rumored to be taking what, like making two minutes worth of film every month on the new Miyazaki film. So, I mean, send them this and say, guys, if you need some extra help, <laughs> like we, we, we uh, yeah, send us an email. Here's our job application. <laughs> All right. Um, so, I mean, there's so much more we could talk about with Flea and Ghibli, um, but we've reached the point of the conversation where we need to know where we need to travel to next. Cause we've spoken about Ghibli on this podcast. We've spoken about, well, we just mentioned cartoon saloon and we are always looking for other people that sh- we should be studying. Uh, so where do you guys think the Ghibli tech should be migrating to next? Jess. Oh, on the spot. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was, when you mentioned that at the beginning, I was like, I'm going to think about this and then promptly forgot about it. Um, <laughs> But uh, but no, I mean I think I like this is terrible to admit, but I I don't watch that much animation anymore. Um, and I know a lot of animators who say the same thing, and I think it's because out of out of like a way to 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 not be self-referential with some of the some of the stuff because there's not that much animation that comes out every year, I guess. Uh, mm-hmm. At the end of the day, um, and I like mean... the stuff that I do watch, I'm I'm always like, this is amazing. But I think a lot of my influences come from from like live action. Um, feel free to suggest live action we've yeah. had live action suggestions in the past so well i mean one of the curators of the miyazaki exhibition said do celine siama so <laughs> it's like cool yeah. um i mean i, I think like uh, when uh, when i graduated like at the school over here in denmark um ken and i went to the same uni that's kind of how we originally met very vaguely um when I did my graduation film with some friends, one of our like, that was that was a film that was based on uh, the tsunami in Japan in 2011. So a lot of the like references were coming from Japanese life, and, and so we looked at course at Ghibli a lot. Um, but I remember that we looked a lot at uh, Yasujiro Ozu, um, mm. who may have been mentioned before. I don't know, but I think I think that that's a really good uh, reference for like the. Like I think there's a lot of the same spirit in in that those films as there is in Ghibli films, and, and a lot of these like little mood moments and and uh, and small details that like make a character. I think uh, I think it's something that, that that relates pretty closely. I'll look at that. <laughs> he's got a lot. He's got yeah. long filmography. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, I really like late autumn. I think like I think it's late spring that everyone says. Yeah, oh, it's either that or it's the other way around. I can't remember. There's one that's really famous, and it's the other one. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Kenneth? Uh, I think for animation, I would say Masaki Yuasa. Uh, I don't know if he has been recommended before, but he, I love his stuff. Uh, 
I want to birth as children, as they say. <laughs> um, and um, yeah, I, I mean, I've, I've watched Tatami, Tatami Galaxy, I think it's called the, mm-hmm. the series, but it's just amazing. Um, so I can highly recommend that and ping pong from him, uh, but just every, anything he does, basically, just watch it uh, and you'll be in for a treat. Um, He's the classic example of an animator who couldn't stick to model, so they bumped him over to storyboards instead of an in-betweener quite early on. <laughs> His stuff is so fluid and wonderful. Yes, and it just goes like so many crazy places, but it still sticks within the sort of like the experience of the story and the experience of the, the, the world. Uh, but it's just absolute creativity and just goes wild and I love it. Um, and I, I think like Tatami Galaxy and Ping Pong are, are two examples where that sort of craziness and, and wildness still stays within a pretty sort of cohesive story or like a, a narrative you can actually like follow without it getting too abstract. Uh, although I love like Mind Game and these other movies where it goes completely crazy. Um, then I then I can really recommend those two series as well. He also did one, um, has a weird name. It's like a Hands Off Isaacen, I think it's called, mm-hmm. which actually I, I watched it um, and it, it it's actually really, really explains the animation process really, really well. Uh, there's even a show where they, like an episode where they run out of budget and then they are like, how do we save time? And then they go through like different tricks in animation of having just one drawing that you're sort of moving the camera around to make it look more dramatic. <laughs> um, so yeah, that one I can highly recommend. And then yeah. live action, I would say Lynn Ramsey. Uh, she's really, really cool. I, I love her as well. I would love to work with her one day, but it's probably not going to happen. <laughs> uh, I mean, she just made a documentary. <laughs> who knows what she might do next? <laughs> she wants to do an animated one. She knows who to call. <laughs> I would be ready. I would work for free for her. <laughs> Don't say that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Can you can you cut that out? Oh. Yeah, won't look good on the spreadsheet. <laughs> if you record yourself saying, you know, my normal rate, and we'll paste that in. <laughs> Amazing recommendations. Thank you so much. Oh, it's been such a treat speaking with both of you, uh, Jess and Kenneth. Thank you for joining us and talking. Flea and Ghibli. It's been a treat. Thank you to Kenneth and Jess for speaking with us and tackling all our (laughs) ignorant, nerdy questions, not having an artistic bone in our bodies. Uh, That was such a treat. Thank you so much. And please go and watch Flea if you haven't already. Absolutely. And we've still got a lot more to come on the chat bus. So many more conversations uh, to get a bit too nerdy about Studio Ghibli. Um, Next time we are talking to the co-writer of what is already one of the best films of the year, Michael. Oh, I definitely say so. And also one of the biggest Studio Ghibli <laughs> and anime tributes of the year is Pixar's Turning Red that premiered on Disney Plus early this year. An instant favourite for, for our team, I think. Oh, yeah, definitely. And so we're very, very lucky to have Julia Cho, who wrote it alongside Domi Shi, uh, coming on the podcast to get into her Ghibli roots. Someone with an incredibly unique trajectory for getting into studio ghibli um and i'd love it if uh if there's anyone else that has somehow mimicked that as well um so a bit of a tease for you there and if you haven't heard it already we actually had domi Shi on the podcast way back in the the early days of the pandemic she was kind enough to zoom us uh where she was remotely directing a film which uh sounds like an absolute nightmare but she was willing to give us an hour or so to chat about her ghibli origin story too which was lovely so definitely check back in our feed and listen to that episode But that's next episode for now. That's it from us. Before we go, please do sign up to our Patreon if you haven't already. We've got all sorts of fun stuff happening in the Discord already, as well as the Library Cafe episodes that's going live. We had our take at length on the Batman. We also had an episode very recently about Turning Red, which, of course, is the film we're going to be talking about in the next episode. Until then... You can also catch us on socials too. We're at GhibliAttack on Twitter, GhibliAttack.pod on Instagram. You can follow Steph at underscore Steph Watts and Jake at JKH Cunningham. And you can follow Michael at Michael J. Leader. Ghibliotech is produced by Michael Leader, Jake Cunningham, Harold McShill and Steph Watts. Our music is by Anthony Ng.
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 